Hi, welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly podcast of culture, news, and stuff from the most interesting city between Omaha and Salt Lake. I'm Jared Jacang Mayor, here with Joel Warner. John Dicker is out of town, but we do have as a guest Laura Schunk, uh, food writer and restaurant critic from uh, Westward. And this week we're going to be talking about food. First up is uh, what it's like being a food critic in the age of Yelp, what to do on Thanksgiving if you hate Thanksgiving food. Then we're going to do some hypothetical game playing around uh, where we would open up cool restaurants if we had the money and uh, skills. But Joel, maybe first that we should uh, let everyone know about a little announcement. Yeah, we have some big news this week. Uh, the competition was fierce, but last night at the Westward Web Awards, the Denver Tide Tribe was named the best podcast in the world, or at least in the Denver metro area, by Westward Newspaper. And I'm not going to Westward talk Newspaper. About I've, I haven't heard of this publication. Yeah, I know. I've, when I heard, I think you know, I know someone who works there. Maybe someone else who used to work there. Also, I heard someone who might be on the Denver Diatribe podcast might have been one of the judges on the awards, but we don't have to talk about that. Nepotism wins again against all odds. Thank God. And speaking of nepotism, Laura, (laughs) you are the um, person writing all the new food reviews and restaurant reviews uh, for Westward, and uh, you've had a recent run-in with the Yelp mobs and wrote a, a few blog items and pieces about that. First up, just tell us about this piece that you wrote and then maybe go into a little bit of the Yelp reaction. Okay. So actually I didn't write the piece. It was Lori Midson, um, our other cafe and cafe society editor. She interviewed a chef, um, Scott Parker at table six recently, um, who had some pretty harsh words for Yelp. Um, as I think a lot of chefs around town do. What, what was his basic complaints? Well, he, <laughs> uh, basically the, you know, Yelp is, amateur restaurant critics uh, influencing where people go to dinner. So he didn't mince words in complaining about that. So it'll be like, that. you know, you have your Yelp space on, on Yelp for whatever restaurant, and then people can go in and give their own reviews based on whatever they their experience was or whatever their thoughts are. Exactly. So, it, yes. And, you know, he's, he's calling out the Yelp community because it's a community of people that possibly doesn't, no, you know, as a, critics are held to a different standard than somebody who goes in and writes a comment on a just public forum like Yelp. So it's the question of do people use Yelp? And if so, is that really fair in deciding where you're going to go to dinner, especially because there's not really a way to regulate, um, you know, despite what Yelp says about removing reviews and things like that, there's not really a way to regulate people if they didn't even eat at the restaurant, which, I, which was proved by this whole debacle because after he made these comments, a bunch of people gave him false reviews on his restaurant. Well, how do you come down on Yelp? One thing that Yelp really does have the power to do is just to get discussion going about restaurants, which I think actually is a really positive thing, or about businesses in town in general. I do think that you know you're looking at you're looking at a power to destroy a business based on. I mean, do, do some of these Yelp comments and things, do they actually uh, – h- how much can they actually damage a, a restaurant? I mean, if a restaurant is already bad – Have you actually seen, like, real-world impact from from Yelp? I mean, I think that's actually debatable. I think that a lot of people that you talk to use Yelp pretty much to get directions to a restaurant or an address or maybe just verify that people – you know, it's open, people are eating there. Um, but I think that – there is a community of people who is looking at that and saying, okay, this place has four stars and I'm going to eat there over this other place that has three and a half. So I think it does make a difference um, 
when people are looking up restaurants, it's one of the first things that pops up. So there are issues with that. I mean, uh, when you're writing a review on Yelp, you're not held to the same you're not held to the same standards as somebody who is going in you know three times after the restaurant's yeah. been open a certain amount of time, looking at it from a completely different perspective, looking at the whole picture. So you have Yelpers who say, my water glass wasn't full, so I'm going to give this place one star. And is that really a fair thing to factor in to a restaurant's overall rating? Yeah, but then on the other hand, you'll have people who are some of these Yelp reviewers who, you know, they do leave really intelligent, pretty well-balanced uh, comments and reviews of, uh, I mean, they take themselves pretty seriously. They're not the, you know, idiot internet commenter that <laughs> is sort of the bane of, of so many uh, journalists' existence where they you know, don't even engage the, the in any sort of substantive way and they'll just leave a, an ignorant, half-assed comment on there and pretty much destroy any real discussion. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, I think that's what, that's the positive thing of Yelp, what you've talked about first. It's, you want to draw in those people who do want to have an intelligent discussion about these things and it's a great forum to do that. You know, and in a lot of ways, in the age of Yelp, I actually see my job as a big part of it being drawing those people in to have intelligent discussion about a restaurant. Cause you know, my opinion too is subjective. So it's, it's nice to have the banter. Um, I think what the, what the problem gets to be is that it doesn't matter that, you know, you have some person giving a really fair and intelligent assessment and you have someone not both of their opinions count the same in the rating. Well, in many ways, this is, this really touches on the larger topic that uh, we're approaching with the internet and, and all the ways that it's changing our lives. It's between the wisdom of the crowds and kind of that crowdsourcing ability to be able to gather and, and engage so many more different people and gain their opinions in, in, in ways that you couldn't do um, between the against the wisdom of sort of the experts, right? And the people that do actually have a, a deep knowledge in, in whatever particular subject matter that uh, we're talking about. Joel, what do, what do you think about that just basic question, you know, and especially when, you know, given how journalism and newspapers have been affected by the internet and the fact that it's kind of like, why do journalists even really need to exist when people can sort of communicate among themselves and sort of, uh, you know, disseminate news and information that they want on their own without needing someone to necessarily interpret it for them or be the gatekeeper? Yes, yeah, I actually think that is almost the, mo the more uh, fascinating question here. You know, I think there have been multiple discussions lately about the kind of changing role of criticism, whether it's restaurant criticism or film criticism or whatever, in the age, of, you know, of crowdsourcing the kind of technical reviews for whatever, whether it's products on Amazon or Yelp or whatever, what is the role of the critic? You know, especially I think of places like Alt Weeklies, like where you work, Laura, where I work. It, you know, I think more and more, at least I've seen this shift more towards a kind of experiential kind of process in terms of kind of using, using these reviews, using these places as just kind of a launching board for actually just more like writerly kind of analysis. I think some people just say it's masturbatory, whatever, you know, uh, I think uh, your predecessor, Jason, got knocked a lot for that, that whole kind of uh, uh, Anthony Bourdain-type style, which is like the food and the criticism. It just is launching. Well, well Joel, like, uh, you know, that you mentioned Jason Sheehan, the Westward's longtime restaurant critic until when, like, last year, and he went to the Seattle Weekly. Yeah. But, you know, I heard him bitching about this exact topic, the fact that, you know, he's a restaurant critic, takes himself very seriously. This is the way he makes his living. But then you have all these amateur restaurant critics on Yelp, and, you know, at the end of the day, people that are going out and just looking for a place to eat, they're going to put into Google on their phone and they're going to come up with Yelp and just read those reviews without, you know, I heard but Jason I Sheehan comment once in a while saying like, well, what, 
why am I even here? Why do I even exist? Well, I think in some ways that's actually a redundant question coming from someone like Jason, and I could say the same thing in that, you know, I kind of see that there are two fully different types of criticism. Lauren, I'm going to ask you about this in a second, but just one is the kind of the technical nuts and bolts. Where do I want to get food? What movie do I want to see? I want to get the specifics. Is it good or bad? The reviewers, the critics I read, whether it's Roger Ebert for movies or kind of some of Chuck Klosterman's writing on music, I don't read it to find out about whether they think something is good or bad. I read it because of their writing, because of, of of how they say what they say, not what they say. And Laura, I want to throw the question to you. I mean, how do you, like, what do you see your role as a restaurant critic? I think that the role of the professional critic is twofold. It's, you know, you're looking at, you're looking at helping people decide where to eat or what movie to see or what business to go to or whatever it is that you're, you're criticizing, but you're also telling a story and you serve to entertain. I mean, you really cater to several different audiences. You're look, you're catering to an audience that really is going to take your advice and really respects what you're saying. And then you're looking at, you're also catering to an audience that may never go to the restaurant that you're, you're reviewing or talking about um, for whatever reason, but still want to come back and read you. You know, I think that, is definitely that's become the role i think i think jason sheehan did a lot in this town for that in general and you know you have anthony bourdain you have all these critics now that really do focus more on the story sometimes forget to write about the food altogether but um so you can go too far i think you can i definitely think you can go too far i mean i i still think that the professional critic of anything serves they have a unique insight and perspective into whatever industry it is that they're providing expertise on just because they do this for a living and therefore I mean, they have hours and hours and hours of experience doing well, it. Well, the, I mean, they're the expert in that particular field. Like exactly. if I want to know about laptops, I'm not going to ask, you know, you, <laughs> Laura. That's I mean, you know a lot, That's a lot about buying laptops. <laughs> but, but, you know, if I want to know about, uh, you know, a good place to go tonight, after this to, to go eat or something like that. That's, that's what I'll ask you about because you yeah. you do this. You live and breathe this stuff. So so in other words, you don't think restaurant criticism is in danger of dying? Because- no, no, you know, it's interesting that you had pulled this back into the broader scheme of criticism and the broader scheme of journalism because I think this is definitely a, a, a question that's going on right now. Um, and I don't, I don't really think that uh, any of it's in danger of dying because I think you're still at the end of the day looking for the credible opinion. I mean, if you're making a snap decision on where to eat and you just want the technical nuts and bolts, then maybe you're going to use Yelp. But I think at the at the end of the day, you're looking for something with a little bit more weight than my water glass wasn't full and so I gave it yeah. one star. I mean, it is funny though now to, to hear all of these um, chefs at restaurants almost going back and embracing the restaurant critics that maybe before the internet they would deride um, and, you know, write these angry letters back to the restaurant critics whenever they got a bad review. Well, now they're looking at this thing where it's like, you're just looking at this, this chaotic, I mean, you have so little control over mm-hmm. what is actually going to be put up online. And this, and this is stuff that I think can be damaging. I mean, this, a lot of this stuff will stay up there. Forever and ever and ever, and like one misfilled water glass one time can all of a sudden somehow tarnish your reputation and actually affect, affect your bottom line. Well, I think you're seeing a product, too, of 
because you have these discussive forums and you have all these people that are weighing in and offering their opinions, they're pushing the people in the industry who are doing this professionally to also be better at their game. So I think that you definitely see, I, I think, I, I mean, I think that's a good thing. I think the discussion helps everyone in the end. And I mean, yeah, I, I think that there's, there's part of that. There's no control. And then there's also the idea of, well, you're respecting the people more who are, who are setting yeah. themselves apart. So basically, your, your, your main point is that all Yelpers are assholes. Okay, moving <laughs> Let's on. Let's be thankful to that. Move on to thank- <laughs> moving on, next topic. Thanksgiving is coming up. Turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy. What if you're a person that absolutely hates that shit, and on Thanksgiving you want to get as far away from that as possible? And you don't like football. Laura, yeah, where, can, where can these types of anti-Thanksgiving curmudgeons go to actually get a bite to eat on Thanksgiving Day in Denver. Um, this is a great. I am actually one of these people. I hate so you don't like Thanksgiving. And I hate. Well, I just don't like Thanksgiving food. I love to feast, but I really am not into turkey. And I think it's a it's a dry meat. <laughs> it's true. I like the crunchy like skin stuff. Yeah, if you fry up the skin and put that on my plate, I'm totally happy with it. But just, so just eating a breast of, of turkey, yeah, the okay. yeah cracklins. I think they're called. I actually. could do that. I could do that. <laughs> um, but there are several restaurants in Denver that are going to be open that day. Um, Parallel 17 is doing their full menu, so you can... And what are they? They're, sorry, they're a Vietnamese restaurant. Um, they'll be doing a take on Thanksgiving, but they'll also be still offering up pho, um, spring rolls, that kind of thing. I really like crab this time of year. It's crab season in Northern California, so my family actually celebrates Thanksgiving in Northern California pretty, pretty often, and that's... We're more into doing that. Um, Colterra up in Niwot is doing some things with crab. I don't know that they're doing whole crab, but what are you going to be doing on Thanksgiving? What am I going to be doing? I'm going to be in Glenwood Springs going to a buffet. That is what I'm a Glenwood doing. Springs buffet. Yes, it's going to be very romantic. Is this, what all, is this an all turkey skin buffet? Yeah, I think it, I don't. It's I don't like think so. Bins of <laughs> gravy soaked turkey skin. Yeah, I have a feeling it's more like Cisco products. Uh, you know, gravy and mashed potatoes and that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. Sounds delicious. We want a full report. <laughs> so ne- so maybe let's move on to the next topic. I don't know. I- I've had this this fantasy conversation a few times with people, and it always sort of starts out when you're in a part of the city and there's kind of a cool neighborhood or, uh, you know, a place that you think has a lot of potential, and then you start musing about what could actually work in some of these spaces as a restaurant or as an eatery or as anything – and if you had the money, you had a half a million dollars, a million dollars, and you had backers, and you were given full reign to sort of set up a restaurant or eatery somewhere in Denver. Joel, maybe you go first. What would you I do, first. and uh, where would it be? Okay, so what I would do, create a real Spanish bar, and that's because I'm biased. I spent some time in Spain. Uh, back in school, I spent some time in Barcelona, and I will never wear, you know, these kind of frou-frou, like, uh, tapas restaurants that we now have in Denver where literally you spend 15 bucks for like three pieces of Spanish tortilla, which is basically freaking potatoes and freaking onion. The Spanish bars, you you have an entire leg of a fucking pig on the, on the end of the bar, and you, you know, and they will slice off the, uh, the jamon iberico for you, and they'll have um, all these great little like tapas that cost like a buck or two, you know, and it'll be open, probably it'll start, you know, open around like 11 p.m. and close around 6 or 7 in the morning. Now, where I would have it is I would actually transform the entire 16th Street Mall into a version of Barcelona's Las Ramblas. So it would be packed with uh, uh, discotecas and all, you know, all these bars, and people would be out there from all 
from all times of the night. Now, maybe that would cost more than a half million dollars, but to do so, I'd be willing to embezzle some of the city's money. So that's okay, what I would very do. embezzlement, very <laughs> ambitious. Right, Laura? Um, you know, I, I actually draw inspiration from a different country as well. Uh, in Argentina, I ate at a restaurant where they didn't, they didn't tell you, there was no menu, they didn't tell you what they were going to bring, um, and then they just charged you based on how much you, they liked you. Uh, so I would I would draw from that, and I would set up kind of a dinner party-ish restaurant. You came, there was one seating, it was small, intimate, you sat at a table with, you know, 16 people, um, and then the chef is sort of your host. They bring what they want to bring, um, so, you know, serve you what they want to serve you, and then charge you based on how much they like you at the end of the day. Wow. I like that. <laughs> Where Do you have a place in mind? Um. I actually love the Baker neighborhood um, in Denver right now, and maybe that makes me tragically hip. I'm not really sure, but <laughs> I, you know, it I makes like you a savvy investor. Yeah, ex- yeah, or something like that. Um, so I, I think I would come down here. I would want to do just a simple spot, kind of industrial, and I think this is excellent. Yeah. Okay. So if you guys have ideas for what you would like to uh, use your hypothetical windfall of money to do to open up a restaurant here in Denver, um, you know, leave it on our Facebook page. Go to denverdiatribe.com, leave a comment there, or you can also find us on Twitter and uh, tweet us your ideas. Let us now go into love and hate. Laura, you are our guest for today. Um, so ski season's coming up. I love to ski as much as the next person in this town. I was raised on it, but uh, I absolutely hate how much focus is but it's baffling to me that in july we're talking about ski season um in a state that has so many other great things going on which speaking of which i also hate things like pow pow um and oh, all yeah. of those terrible words but um, Ep- epic pow pow ep- epic pow pow i'm just, having an epic pow pow day just saying yeah. those words makes me kind of cringe right yeah, now exactly. i have to say squirming a little bit i can't believe they came out of my mouth it's epic terrible pow-pow. you know more power to more power to all the skiers out there because I'm probably going to get hunted down for saying something like that. But um, oh, they'll trash you on Yelp. Yeah, they'll probably trash me on Yelp. There's a feed if just in case you're looking for it. What? Uh, 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 a tra- a trashing me on Yelp. Oh, I hate oh. Laura. Shunk. Yeah, it's, you know, I think it's actually Yelp. how does Laura Shunk still have a job? So That's a badge of honor. It okay. is a badge of honor. Right. I feel pretty good you about it. But if you'd that. like to talk about my skiing, perhaps you uh, <laughs> perhaps you could go on that and, and give your opinions about it. So now you've pissed off the Yelpers. And the skiers. The skiers <laughs> in great. Colorado. That's a big constituency. You're really, I know, really I'm, going I'm for the totally gusto. Screwed. I like to ski. Let me say that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so speaking of going for the gusto, mine, I don't know if you can consider this a love or hate. This is actually, we're going to be figuring out what this is right now. Oh, I like that. This has to do with an alcoholic energy drink called Four Loco, which maybe you guys have recalled. You, you, oh, know, yeah. you know this is in the news. Or what, do you, is, what, do you know, what do you know about this? Tra- Why is it in the news? It is tragic that it is dying. A sad, painful death. Well, well basically, the, the FDA is, is taking this up as an issue. This is a highly alcoholic energy drink, um, very sugary, and it, it's been maybe sort of linked to, to deaths or people <laughs> getting crazy and, like, running into traffic. And now they're, they're actually so thinking Yelp, about doing but... a, an all-out ban <laughs> on this drink. So because I haven't tried it, I, I, actually, I actually got some. Oh, here we go. Um, oh, this is from really. A, uh, from a, a ghetto liquor store down the street. <laughs> Four loco. It's okay. I'm gonna be, and this was actually. I'm reading it right now. Contains alcohol, and it is. I think it's a 12. percent So this is like basically like drinking wine, and it 
almost is like wine. This is actually watermelon flavor. Yeah, gateway to blackout. Yeah. They okay. this is a this is a momentous occasion. They actually did ban it. It's not just really? thinking about banning it. Okay, yeah. So, so, so was, we aren't actually so, drinking this right now. This is this is just hypothetically. No, no, no. So it, no, once no, all are. the caffeinated beverages are sold no, out. Think, yeah, I think I, I'm actually might go down and, and stock up on yeah, this stuff. You probably so here, should. I, here I am opening. I'm gonna pour you guys a glass and we're all gonna take a take a drink. Oh, it's this nice pink color, like hot pink. I think uh this is a good sign. So, Laura, when did when did you have uh, to sample this stuff before? Experience Fort Loco. Um, you know, I'm I was a Sparks fan way back in the day. Ooh. Yeah, I know, old school. Um, until Are that was still around. You know, they, well, they they, say, they went the too? same way at Fort Loco. They told them they had to take the caffeine out of it. So, this is a pretty special thing. Once the caffeine's wow. gone. I think it's just going to be oh, an abominable. Is, yours beverage. is already your cup is leaking, Joel. I think oh it's you, you can just drink at it, drink just drink out of the can. Birds of the plastic. <laughs> okay, okay. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Ugh. <laughs> it's like oh my god. It completely tastes like malt liquor, and like a bad a Jolly ba- Rancher. A, ba- a Jolly Rancher and like a really bad rosé, you know, <laughs> and like a wine cooler. But it um, guaranteed to give you a, a, a delicious hangover. Yeah, so gateway to blackout. And a bit like rotten watermelon. Okay, I have to say this week I have to give some serious hate to people that use their little phone email tags instead of like social status, like send for my Nexus 3000 Trapper Keeper phone. Like perfect example this week, some complete uh, douchebag I was trying to do an interview with kept shooting me um, messages saying how he didn't have time to talk to me. And every single one would say, send from my iTouch uh, Maxi. I don't even know what the fuck like, the like, iTouch Maxi is. What so an that's iTouch? I have to say. It's called an iTouch Maxi? I've never even heard of this thing. It sounds what? like a hygienic product. I, yes. I mean, first first the <laughs> iPad. Now we have the iTouch Maxi. Yes. I mean, does Steve Jobs they... just have a like bizarre feminine product fetish that he's like <laughs> making us use all of these words in this context of like seriousness? I have no idea. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm already blacked out. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> anyway, that's it for us this week. Uh, thanks to Laura Schunk uh, from Westwood for coming in and talking to us about restaurants. I'm Jared Jukang Mayor, Joel Warner, uh, and for John Dicker, who will hopefully be back next week, we are out. Bye.